1: And we're back in action here in the frozen tundra of Houston, Texas. Matt, how are you today? I'm just
0: trying to stay warm like everybody else.
1: Yeah, I was telling you before, I was in Oklahoma City yesterday, and I had about a seven-hour delay. I actually moved my flights around to try and avoid that, but it ended up happening anyways. But I made lots of friends at the airport. Oklahoma City's a friendly bunch, most of which were not from Oklahoma. One lady, I felt bad, she was flying from Oklahoma to Houston, and then Houston to... San Francisco than Honolulu. So her whole situation got completely mangled. And so she was not too stoked, but she's there for 10 days going and staying with a bunch of friends. I was like, if you're there a day late, I'm sure your trip is still going to be good, but you could tell she was pretty antsy. And then just, I mean, flying in general, you just never know what you're going to get. You know what I mean? I know you fly a lot. Yes.
0: The tension is high. (laughs) Yeah. Certainly. Especially when it's the home leg, you just want to go yeah, I, remember yeah. seeing, I used to go to St. John's, East Canada, not the beautiful Caribbean island. It is the end of nowhere. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. But people are like, oh, if you leave tomorrow, and you're like, what do you mean? And it's yeah. like the airport's fogged in all the time. Like I've been stuck in that airport so many times where you kind of stop having expectations. Right. It's just sort of a depressing outlook. Well,
1: that reminds me of being offshore and, you know, you're supposed to crew change on like a, say a Wednesday and everyone's just dialed into the weather, right? Like everyone's watching the weather, unless you're like physically working, it's what's the weather doing? Are we getting home? Is the work boat going to make it? Or, you know, the helicopter, depending, it can be stressful, especially going home right after like, whether it's a work trip or you've been for however much, and I couldn't imagine, I was thinking about this yesterday, because you look around when people are waiting for anything, whether it's at the airport or in line people have their phones and so you're essentially reading or doing social media or whatever I mean back in the day when you didn't I mean newspaper like you were forced to talk to people which I think is actually a good thing so like I was saying I made a bunch of friends because I was so sick and tired of scrolling Twitter and any other news stuff I could find and Instagram was just, just not happening so I ended up just talking to random people and some of which were entertaining conversations so anyway that was my adventure yesterday and here we are in Houston hopefully weather gets a little warmer. But we're not here to talk about weather or plane delays, Matt. We're actually here to talk about drilling fluids, aren't we? That's the plan. I think that's why other people listen in. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Well, with that said, if anyone has any questions or issues with regards to travel, let us know. But if not, we'll move on to uh, sweeps. And I, we're going to continue on the series that we you know, sort of started here not too long ago. It's, you know, the Why Matt Hates series, and I think it's actually quite entertaining, but it's actually very informative, and it allows Matt to really speak the truth, right? Because nowadays you're supposed to be yourself and be genuine, and so you're you're getting the real Matt here, which you know he's never shy of telling it how he thinks. So today we're going to
0: talk about why Matt hates sweeps. Matt, what do you think about that? I'm shaking my fist in the air. There's so much ire and rage <laughs> built up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth having the conversation just because we keep having this conversation with people. About just some of the limitations. I mean, we'll we'll get into it, but I sometimes get very frustrated when people insist on pumping sweeps when they may be something from yesteryear and not what we need today to drill a hole. Yeah, and I understand that. And you know, us in the
1: drilling fluids world, sometimes we bonk our head against the walls. And but ultimately, you know, we typically like to play ball. And although we try and educate and inform clients on perhaps better ways of doing things. Sometimes you just end up doing them anyways, but I think it's important to at least communicate the why behind our intentions. And so, you know, just broadly speaking,
0: why do you hate sweeps and why do they just irk you when when they come up, you know, often? So there's a lot of reasons, but I think probably the one that's central to all of it is that they had a place and many of the people that trained us came from that school, Yeah, but we got rigged with 7,500 PSI pumps. Yeah, you, know, you remember when we had Fred Dupreece on, he's like, look, if you can't clean an eight and a half inch hole, like, you got a problem. Like, today's rigs, you know, you have the annular velocity, you have enough energy that if, if you look at the physics, there's absolutely no excuse for thinking that you need any help cleaning the hole. Mm-hmm. And so understanding the rig equipment we have today, you know, and, and look, some other drilling technology could take us a leap forward where we have to go back and revisit what we're saying now. But sure. if you run your hydraulics, whole cleaning is not really an issue, particularly in the production section of an unconventional well. And granted, I get it. If you are drilling a we'll get into this, but like my frustration is that we still have some of these conversations about lowering costs, and we have folks who insist on continuing to do these things without even trying getting rid of them when we're pretty confident you don't need them. And then I think the other, you know, kind of nagging element to that is just. My concern is if we're not willing to revisit the fundamentals behind that, which I think are pretty, you know, you could go to a lot of places and they would, you know, a K&M school, one of these other places, they would pretty much tell you what I'm telling you. But what other engineering facets of engineering are we overlooking if we're stuck on this one, right? So, like, it's a sign of other problems to me. So it's even, I'm not worried that you're doing this. I'm worried what other expensive things you could be doing where we could just get so much better if we would just, you know, dial into what our proven practices. So anyways, that's kind of the opening salvo would be that. But even when we talk about sweeps, I mean, the definition of what a sweep is, is so vague. The application of, you know, well, I like to use them here. I like to use them here. You know, we only use them under these circumstances. Okay. Well, well, who's right. And we'll discuss why that's so good. And that ties into the next one how do you measure the success? Okay. Well, I saw a bunch of cuttings with shakers. Okay. But did you see a bunch of cuttings because you gathered up cuttings that were going to come out of the hole anyways, or did you actually remove cuttings that were struggling to get out of the hole, you know, sitting on the low side, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then, you know, all in all, this all costs money. It costs time. It costs money. You know, it can create other complications with maintaining the mud system. And so like, You know, all of my ire is pretty much summarized in those bullet points, but (laughs) it's just something like, I want us all as an industry to get better at this so that we can tackle like bigger problems. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm.
1: You make an interesting point. It's if we're pumping sweeps and kind of just arbitrarily coming up with you know, operating procedures on sweeps, and what else are we doing, right? It's, I think that brings up a really good point. And perhaps towards the end, you know, I can play devil's advocate, because oftentimes, there's so many arguments to it, right? And whether it's from the field level, office level, combination of the two, but it's such a common conversation. And I think as an industry, I, through observation, believe that we're getting better at making data driven decisions. But a lot of it comes down to if you're not tracking anything and you're not measuring anything, then you're just kind of doing it for the sake of doing it. And again, like we have to get better, right? But again, I'm going to do that towards the end. So let's talk just sweeps in general. Matt, let's kind of like get back to, you know, describing what types of sweeps, because there's so many different ones, right? So if you could just kind of go over different
0: types of sweeps. Yeah. And prior to be clear, you know, I'm kind of thinking here about, mostly whole cleaning related sweeps. All right. I think good point. Yeah. There's other reasons you do these things. And and look, I hate sweeps, but that doesn't mean you're never going to hear me recommend one. Okay. But once again, we talk about sweeps, what are we actually doing? So like we could be pumping a sweep of fibrous material, you know, kind of the like shredded rope stuff that comes back around and you know it gets all entangled with cuttings and goes off over the shakers. And there are people who absolutely love it. So, you know, that's a thing. But then we get into What about a viscous sweep? And then what about a viscous weighted sweep? And, you know, the nice thing about adding some density is buoyancy, right? So you add more density, it's heavier than the cuttings or closer to the, maybe not heavier, but like closer to the density of the cuttings, which helps, you know, push them upwards. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, tandem sweeps. So now I pump some base oil ahead. So I give some turbulence ahead of, it's basically a two-stage sweep, Right balanced tandem where we pump a certain amount of base oil and our weighted sweep is so that if the two mix together, you would still have the same net mud weight as the system. And then for every single one of those, we get into arguments about the volumes of what we should actually be pumping that's effective. And the problem is some people you talk to say, oh, well, that sweep didn't work. It's like, well, how big was it? And then, well, this sweep always works and it's okay. Well, why do you think that is? And because we have all these different permutations and combinations, there's no real standard to say, okay, are we actually fixing something or did we just see something different and something different is therefore good? (laughs) Right. And, you know, I think kind of back to your point, you know, there are ways to measure this stuff, but even I think, you know, there's more sensors and all that good stuff. But there's also things on upfront on the engineering side, you know, some of the hydraulic software will let you simulate circulating a sweep through some of them, you just look at what the theoretical accumulation is. And if you don't have any cuttings accumulation, do you need to be pumping a sweep? <laughs> you know, right. or do you need to be pumping a sweep every stand? So even how you're using them, you know, like we argue about volumes and composition and then it's okay. Well, now I've decided I'm going to do a sweep. How am I even applying it? You know, am I using them in the right situation and so on and so forth?
1: Yeah. I kind of chuckle when we talk about the size or, you know, whether it's the density or, you know, again, just a volume topic within sweeps is funny because oftentimes I've seen mud reports like, oh, you know, pumped a you know, 10 barrel sweep or a 20 barrel sweep. And when you figure out how many feet of annulus that covers by the time it gets, you know, I mean, again, I don't have my downhole goggles on when we pump these things, but Just looking at it from a very simple sort of physics level or like a fluid mechanic level, I just can't see like a perfect column of fluid going along the wellbore while you're rotating your pipe. Like it's all just going to kind of get strung out. And if you do get that small bit of volume that somehow stays together without getting strung out to surface, if you're say, you know, 18,000 feet out, whatever, it's just, yeah, it's a comical conversation. But it's just one that continues to come up, which is why we're explaining why we think it's frustrating. Matt, let's talk about the application of sweeps because there's different ways you can apply it and when, yeah. you know, and all that. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. So,
0: I mean, the first thing kind of alluding to the first, you know, at every connection or whatever. this is probably the most common one where if someone's absolutely committed to sweeps and they're like, look, no matter what you tell me, I'm not going to go away from them. You say, all right, well, what if we just dial them down a bit? How of every third stand and ever instead of every stand and just see if you have any issues. And then, you know, well, what if we do, you know, every 500 feet, how can we dial this back so that we can stop doing something that probably isn't helpful. And so like frequency, as far as how often you pump them, you know, going back to, you know, the volume and then, you know, qualifying all of this stuff to what kind of hole you're in right now we know we've talked about hole cleaning right so you've got your vertical section your build section your horizontal horizontal is kind of this dune flow if i have the right av the stuff's gonna you know it builds up a mound and the mound gets knocked over by the annular velocity and just sort of flows like a wave up to the build section we know the build section is the worst part right yeah especially you know sliding for example we know hole cleaning is tough maybe near the vertical when i can't get the flow rates i need maybe a sweep is is worth it where the other thing from an application perspective though is if i can't get the flow rate i need which is generally not the case in the type of wells we drill anymore but let's say i'm drilling a, a relatively large vertical hole basically the reason vertical hole is easy to clean is off the principle of hindered settling right so as long as you have enough flow rate to push the cuttings upwards the cuttings that want to fall bump into the cuttings that want to go up, which solves a lot of your problems. However, if you find yourself where all of the cuttings are clumping together and going down, maybe something like some density will help push them up and keep them going. And so, especially clearing the BHA, they might make sense, but you know, in unconventionals, I don't know a lot of places where we have issues with vertical hole, you know, it's generally not the problem. And then from, you know, it just goes back to trying to take the big picture of when we're talking about unconventional wells, like granted, I've been offshore where we've needed to, where, where, look, when you're drilling like 32 inch hole, and <laughs> in yes, we pump sweeps. We're using seawater and, you know, prehydrated bentonite sweeps, guar gum or, you know, something. But the whole idea is, yeah, get that stuff away from the bit as quickly as possible. But when we're mudded up and we're drilling in a horizontal it's all about flow rate. So from an application perspective, the reason I hate them is because no one can define what a good frequency is, you know, loading at the shakers, right? Like you should see a loading of cuttings, unless there's absolutely nothing in the hole, which we know is never true. When the sweep comes back, you're going to see something, right? I mean, that's why the manager stands around by the shakers when sweep comes back, right? So they can go report back all the stuff they saw. Yeah. But in all reality, like, How much of that would have just circulated its way out of the well with the right flow rate and through cleanup cycles? Right. Yeah. And I think
1: sort of to sort of, I guess, defend the sweep world on that. You know, they figure, well, yeah, it would have come out eventually, but why not get it out sooner so I can come out of the hole sooner? Perhaps, right? I guess There's that
0: argument to be made. However, I would go back to, I don't think it actually does anything faster. I think you're gathering cuttings that were already circulating out. And it's not like that sweep moves so much faster than the cuttings that you're actually like saving yourself three bottoms up on a seven bottoms up cleanup cycle. You're saving yourself like 10
1: minutes. Right. Well, it's interesting to me, you talk to a lot of folks in the drilling space, some that have little experience all the way to some who've been around forever. And most people that I've at least worked around, do support the KM technology sort of principles and what they've essentially come out with in terms of you know whole cleaning best practices. And they all agree with it, but yet somehow we still keep pumping lots and lots of sweeps. And so, why do you think there's such a disconnect between what people in the, you know, I'm gonna say the office, because typically engineers go to these KM schools perhaps some field superintendents and perhaps some company reps. I'm not too sure about that. But where do you think the
0: disconnect is? I mean, I think one, it's behavioral. Even when I've had people agree with me in the office, they've said, look, I can't get the drilling consultant on location to, to like do it. He or she's too paranoid. And I go back to, look, I mean, you want experienced people on the rig. Like there's probably a lot of, they might have that one bad habit, but they might have a lot of other really great habits in securing a well and leading a team. That like, you know, you just, it's maybe something that everyone could get on board with. So I think that's part of it. I think there's enough misleading information where, look, I stand by the shakers and I see some cuttings. So don't tell me sweep it's not working. I was like, okay, well, it's not that it's not working. It's that it's not doing what you think it's doing. And I think, you know, we as a mud company maybe could be a little more aggressive. I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but like you know, when we've sat down with a lot of these folks and shown them the hydraulics and especially been able to, you know, say, hey, here's a story from someone down the road who did the exact same thing. They got rid of their sweeps and now they're saving, you know, 15,000 bucks on a well because it's all the bay right, you know, and certainly when you have smaller rig circulating systems, you know, all of the gimmicks to try and avoid all that stuff getting into your mud system. There's even more cost to it. So, it's more interesting than like, hey, could we try it? See, I've even gone to like, hey, look, if a sweep is all the same to you, let's let's pump some nut plug. Like, if that makes you feel good, it's cheap. We'll lose it at the shakers. If that's our compromise, we're at least saving some money. But it's unfortunate that, you know, we're running interference on engineering best practices. Right, Matt. So,
1: at the end of the day, a lot of what we do is driven off economics, and, you know, there's always sort of effort being put into being as cost effective as possible, right? So, I mean, when someone says, what can we do better? You know, right away, I think, well, where's a lot of our product going down hole? And it's, you know, a lot of it can come from sweeps. And so Matt, let's talk a little bit, like how expensive does this actually, you know, how much money do you think we actually put into this without real, any return?
0: $15,000 is usually in a typical, well, Now, look, if you pump more of them, it costs more money, right? But if you're just looking at the cost of extra Bayrite to wait up and pump a sweep, it looks like about $15,000. It's not a small amount for a mud build. And that goes back to look, I mean, especially right now, what are we talking about? We're trying to, there's all this pricing pressure, supply chain issues. You know, we're trying to educate everybody on the fact that, look, if the price of crude goes up, price of chemicals go up. It doesn't even have to be feedstock. It can just be that it's got to go on a boat from halfway across the world. And that fuel is more expensive. We're dealing with all these supply chain constraints and we look and say, okay, well, what can we do to restrain the impact of these growing costs? It's like, well, you know, yeah, I know you want us to come up with some clever product that's cheaper and works better and and all those things, but like, what if we just change what we're doing? Like try something a little different that we're very confident should work. And I mean, those things scale up really nicely. If you go well to well, they offset a lot of these costs. And so you may actually still be able to drop costs in a price pressured environment just by doing something a little different, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think when we can nail down and standardize some of those practices, and even, you know, it goes back to this behavioral thing. And, you know, I mean, maybe we need to ask more questions. Maybe we need to say, you know, okay, why do you do this? Why do you think sweeps are really good? And it's, well, one time it bailed me out. Okay. Well, why don't we talk about the circumstances where you feel like it bailed you out? And then maybe we can better understand if those circumstances are similar to what you're facing now, or if you're, you know, kind of protecting yourself in a way that doesn't translate or just there are different things like that, where we try and listen a little more, we show them the hydraulics, we show them the, you know, best practices and maybe that changes the game. But at the end of the day, there's money to be saved. And it's not just money. It's, you know, we've done podcasts with Rory and how hard it is to get Bay right, And, you yeah. know, it's supposed to be cheap, but it's, know, it's a finite resource. You know, let's not waste it.
1: Yeah. So kind of thinking of, through it, it reminds me of an exercise I did with the customer. And we were going from drilling with, you know, fairly lightweight oil-based mud, to then going like 12 and a half pounds, 13 pounds, a little bit heavier on some deeper formations. And, you know, of course the conversation comes up, okay, do we need rate right recovery? Well, anyway, so we go through the exercise, you know, we end up doing it. Well, then they say, okay, well, I want to know, you know, I want you to send me reports after each will on the production section, the oil-based section on how much beer we used versus how much we recovered and breakdown versus, okay, here's how much we used to wait up. Here's how much we used for maintenance. And then, you know, of course, how much did we use for sweeps? How much did we use for slugs? And I mean, the mud engineers probably wanted to strangle me, but you know, the data that came from it was, was fascinating. And it really, it, I wouldn't say exposed, but it really helped make decisions and really gave you a good idea of where a lot of your costs, were just, cause a lot of time, I mean, at the end of the well, when, when you look at say, you know, viscosifier, well, you know, it was used to adjust your viscosity or your rheology. Right. But with barite, it can be used in so many different applications. You really don't have a good breakout as to like, okay, we spent $25,000 in barite. Was that because we had to wait up? Was it because we just pumped freaking sweeps every stand. So it was really interesting, even just internally for us to analyze and say, okay, where are we actually spending money on Bayrate? And, you know, we did it for about four or five pads. So probably shoot, I think it was like 15 to 20 wells. And it, we gathered a lot of data. And for them, it was more to understand whether or not they were seeing the value in Barrett recovery. And so what we, you know, we kind of did an exercise where we compared, you know, 13 pound well without barrier recovery, 13 pound with, you know, had a few data points and then they made a decision and it made sense. But where we also had interesting conversations was, oh, wow, I didn't realize we were using so much barrier for X or Y or Z. So again, a lot of times it's important to measure. And although it can be a pain in the butt sometimes to gather more data than we normally do, it can really in the long run help the customer make decisions. And, you know, it adds value from our perspective too, to say, Hey, like we're really trying here. Like we're really trying to show you where you're spending your money.
0: No, it's a great example. I mean, I think that's been one of the more, those kinds of exercises we're able to put together. Sometimes you might have to find a different type of test or whatever, but if we can come to the conclusion, okay, one time, just using the sweep example, going back to that. Okay. So one time we pumped a sweep and a bunch of cuttings came back and okay, but now if we're going to pump sweeps all the time and nothing comes back, is that a, well, imagine what would happen if we would have pumped a sweep and not known that a bunch of cuttings were going to come back. Right. Like, what is my risk of pack-off versus my sort of one-off scenario? And the granularity of that data can be very, very helpful, especially when you're trying to make a case. But sometimes, you know, there's two pieces to it. One, we're always trying to improve, you know, through data analytics and everything. We're trying to improve the granularity of our data so that we can do things like that without even realizing we're, you know, we can put together the case without having to like assign someone to do extra work. But then the flip side of it is, okay, if I want to make the point, how do we get all our information? How do we get all our ducks in a row? Is it special testing? Is there added analysis? Is it just a little more documentation at the rig site? And that's the reason, you know, sometimes we'll send out an extra person. Sometimes we'll ask for a little more work from the mud engineer, but at the end of the day, like you said, they go a long way with the customer and they sort of prove some important concepts. And sweeps is one of those. I think if everybody gets in a room, or not even in a, a virtual whatever, but agrees to gather this data and say, hey, look, let's put everything on the table as far as what we're willing to evaluate. Right. I think they're gonna find that you know we pump sweeps more often than we need to.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. No, and so again, I was going towards and I wanted to play devil's advocate. Okay, Matt, what's your response? You kind of elaborated a bit on it already, but you know, a lot of times it's well, and again, it's debatable, but it's oh, it's cheap insurance. It's like I'd rather use them and not need them than need them and not have them, right? Which I think there's a lot of things you can, you know, dissect from that and probably poke holes in. But what would be a typical response to like, hey, we've just we've done it and it's got us out of a bind, or like not necessarily got us out of a bind, but again, it's like safe insurance, you know, because that yeah. seems to always kind of come back to being just a very general response is, is that, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the problem is like, everything is a balance of risk, right? Like we talk about shale inhibition and how hard it is to definitively say, I'm going to, you know, inhibit this reactive clay. So like the first, well, I would say, look, it's the riskiest. We're in an area where we don't know, whatever. We're going to run 5% by volume, amine, you know, we're going to run an encapsulator at, three pounds per barrel, like this thing's going to be the most stout thing. We're going to get the hole down. And then maybe we dial it back once we get a little more comfortable with drilling practices and all the other variables. But at the end of the day, understanding that risk relative to, you know, you've got to go with severity and likelihood, right? So it's yeah. very, I get stuck and I have to sidetrack is likelihood. Well, according to hydraulics, the likelihood is really, really low you might get stuck, but it might be because the collapse collapses. It might be other things, but it might, it's probably not going to be associated with whether or not your pump sweeps. And so let's try and balance all that stuff out because I don't know, we spend a lot of money because we're afraid of doing something and it's cheap for one well, but the most important thing about, you know, unconventional drilling is scale, right? Most of the big improvements we've made, I mean, look, we used to break out the curve and lateral sections as separate intervals. We don't do that anymore because a curve takes what six hours. I mean, (laughs) yeah, you know, there's so many scenarios that have changed, but at the same time, so like now a half a day matters on a drilling schedule. Yeah. So now we are the way we save money is we nibble away at the small cuts, you know, the where we're bleeding, Mm -hmm. and this is a scenario where. When you want to talk about mud bills and lowering costs, you're bleeding here. And so, as much as it's probably very hard to break free of those habits, I think it's worth giving it a test. And it's not because you saved X thousands of dollars on this well, it's when you finish up the pad, how much money you've saved. So, I guess that's very much what I think it central a lot is the potential of scale. Mm-hmm. And especially is how fast we're
1: drilling these wells nowadays. I mean, Yeah, you extrapolate that over the course of a year and say you've got five rigs. It's very apparent when you add all that up. But again, I always enjoy having these conversations. You know, of course, you and I a lot of times align with, you know, where we stand on MUD and application and procedures and stuff. But I really encourage the listeners out there, if you question this or if you have other thoughts, like this is the best opportunity to create conversation and help educate each other. Because again, I don't know everything. Matt knows quite a bit, almost everything, but not everything. But not everything. (laughs) So, you know, I comically say that. But again, like it's just challenging thoughts and things like that. They're super healthy for us as an industry. So, if you're out there and you're listening, you're like, you know what, guys, like it makes sense what you're saying, but it just really doesn't work like that, you know, then hit us up and say, hey, let's have a conversation or send us an email and say, here's where I think you're wrong. And we'd love to bring it up and you know, just keep chatting about it and get better at the same time. So with that said, everyone appreciate all the support. We've had several folks reach out recently with interesting ideas and different things that are happening. And then just the engagement itself is is fantastic. So again, for everyone out there, please share this episode with someone who may love sweeps. And with that said, everyone, thank you so much. Be safe. Take care for now. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright
1: AES Drilling Fluids.